Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and me, Michelle Dunbar, take on some of the most controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like to hear us discuss, books you'd like us to review, or specific questions you'd like answered, you can email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everyone. Mark Sharon and Michelle Dunbar are here today to discuss an important misinterpretation of the Freedom Model. We've gotten some feedback recently by email and on social media from people that are looking for help that indicate they may have a serious misunderstanding of the Freedom Model and the solutions that we provide in the book. It appears that a great many of these people with this misunderstanding have years of exposure to 12-step methodology and treatment. This results in a way of thinking that is entirely counter to freedom in general. When people are seeking treatment, they're looking for someone to tell them what to do. They're so accustomed to it, they don't even realize that's what they want. The question is, why would they want that? Mark, why do you think they want that? I think they want to be controlled. They've been taught to be controlled. They want it to be, they want the solution to be outside of themselves because they feel like their decision to drink and drug is outside of themselves. They feel out of control. And with that myth intact, uh, if you have a disease, it naturally would indicate that you would need a pill or a procedure or a surgery to fix it, right? Something outside of you. Um, So the disease concept has become so pervasive in, in uh, substance use and the activity of substance use that that people are always looking for treatment to fix them. Does the treatment work? They ask. And the freedom model is just the opposite of that. It's you are the solution. You, your mind, you, the, the ability to choose, the ability to have free will. And that's so counterculture. It's so hard for people to pick up on that, to understand it, to even to even get that concept that they've They've actually changed the way um, they see the freedom model. That's, and we'll talk, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the, the first thing that they read in the book is that they have the ability to moderate. And, and it's almost as if people get there and they read, oh, I can moderate. Oh, so you're telling me I should moderate. Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a strange thing when you think about it. We're not telling, we're, we're explicit about that. We're not telling you to moderate. We don't give permission to people to behave in any way. But you see, when you've been in treatment and around our culture, the, the treatment culture for, for decades, I mean, it's been 70 years in our culture now, um, people are, uh, feel like they have to ask permission from an expert on how they should behave. They should ask a sponsor how they should behave, what they should do. Um, when they feel a craving, they should call their sponsor and, and ask permission to, uh, you know, not drink and drug. Um, as if that person has any control, which is, it's sort of a, a strange idea. Because um, people don't have control over other people's thoughts or cravings. Because craving is just a thought, after all. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a problem. And we have a thing in, in the Freedom Model called, uh, that we coined called the, the Positive Drive Principle. PDP. And that is how people are motivated. And it's very simple. Each human being is motivated by their pursuit of happiness, whatever happiness is to that individual. And so you drink and drug because at some level you find it beneficial to your experience in life. And 
And so now we'll get, we'll get calls from people who have read the Freedom Model and they miss the whole point of the book because they'll say something like, my PDP made me think about drinking today. And I said, wait a minute, your PDP is you. Right. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's your thoughts. It's in your mind yeah, at work. It's, it's, it's you. It, there, there, it's not outside of you. It's not some force outside of you telling you to do something. You see, that's treatment jargon. That's disease language. And there is none of that in the freedom model. But it's remarkable how a person's personal views skew what they read. Yes. You know, and, and I'm not giving permission for anybody to drink and drug. But I'm also not giving permission to anybody to moderate or abstain either. In other words, I know as the author, I was one of the authors of the Freedom Model, I know I have no control over another's thoughts. Your thoughts, your drives are what drive you to drink and drug for personal reasons, reasoning. All of that is internal. All of that is you making a decision. So I can't possibly have any effect on that. The Freedom Model can't have any effect on that. It's not a method that changes people. It's a process of giving you information so you can change yourself. That's really important to understand. Yeah, yeah. When people are are looking for um, for help, a lot of times their there's their expectation of what help is and what it should be colors what they read so so when we say you basically you have three options all we're saying is you have these three options with respect to substance use you can stay keep using the way you're using you can keep using heavily you can reduce your level of usage to to moderate levels or less problematic levels um or you can abstain completely um you know when when people see this i mean we're just simply telling you the truth that you have these three options, um, but we're we're specifically, explicitly not saying choose one of them because yeah. we can't know. I can't know what's best for you, and I certainly don't want that responsibility. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's really important that in reality, in reality, no program works. There's this illusion that AA works, or I went to that rehab and it worked. Well, it, it, it didn't do anything. It provided information to you. That, that's it. That's, you know, you're gleaning information from your surroundings. And either that information had some effect on, on uh, the information you have in your mind and then you chose based on that, on that information uh, to not drink and drug or moderate or whatever. Um, or you didn't, you know. But ultimately, all of that is internal. It's you. And, and that, I, I, I have to repeat it over and over to people. You are making the decision. It's you. There is no program that works. The free model doesn't work because it doesn't claim to. It claims only to provide you the truth. Yes. Where nobody else really will to this level. And Mark brought up the PDP, the positive drive principle earlier. And really what that is, is people move in the direction they think is going to make them happier at any given moment in time. And so when we say to people, well, clearly you're using at the level you're using because for you, that provides you some benefit. That provides you some level of happiness. On some level, you like it. And 
And that doesn't mean we're saying you like it, so you should keep going and doing it exactly that way. Right, that's the leap. That's the leap. Yeah. We're simply saying that at the time that you get high or drunk, you're choosing to do that because you see the benefit on that front end of getting high and drunk. We're not telling you that you should do it, you shouldn't do it, you should moderate, you should abstain, you should do it. We're not saying any of that. We're saying all options are open. You're not out of control. Because you're driven by your pursuit of happiness, you have moved in a direction at the time that you're getting high based on the benefits you believe it gives you. And then people will do some sort of uh, sort of rear view analysis later. They'll crash their car and they'll say, I hate getting high. No, you hate crashing your car. Right. <laughs> okay. That wasn't the goal when you got high. <laughs> yeah. So when you got high, you were driven by the benefits on the front end, which is I like the feeling of getting drunk and high. It's very simple. And, um, and then you attach all kinds of other meaning to it. That's, and all of that is described in the, in the freedom model. But it's really important to understand that no program works. It can't. Because ultimately, the only one that has control over you is you, is your mind. Your mind is who you are. And, uh, and what happens in your mind is who you are. So you're driven by the pursuit of benefits. Yeah, it, it can keep in mind, and I have to remind people of this quite a bit because I think they might get through the first third of the book. And, and a lot of that is debunking the myths of addiction. I mean, the first third of the book is really dedicated to showing you that you're in control. So people get through that and they're like, I'm in control. I like getting high. And then they stop there. They stop there when even throughout the beginning of the book, we say you can challenge those benefits. You can challenge the things you think you're getting from getting high or drunk because maybe it's not as great as you once thought it was. Maybe you're not getting the things you once did. Maybe it's time to reevaluate. I mean, people change their preferences throughout their lives. I'm sure you don't still like doing the things you like doing at 10 years old. Well, I, I use the analogy that uh, when you're 15 years old, you ride your bike all over the place to your friends' houses, to your girlfriend's right. houses, and then when you get your driver's license, do you go back on your bicycle? No. <laughs> No. You get in the car. You know, you might I mean, ride. there are a few cyclists that <laughs> right. may do that, but, but they, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but we also know in, in, the, uh, in drinking and drugging that most people quit through uh, getting older. Simply, they, they move on from it. The vast majority do. Over 90% of people that have a drinking and drug problem, whether they're treated or not, if you factor in age, quit. So, so there comes a point where you no longer see it with the same luster you once did. And so it's more natural to stop than it is to keep going. And that, that's one of those hidden facts that the treatment industry never discusses because then, uh, frankly, they'd be obsolete and not needed. Um, so, so yeah, your preferences do change. Your preferences, uh, a lot of people don't stick with one drug through the tenure of their use. They might start with booze, then they might go smoke pot for a while, they might have a stint with cocaine, they might do heroin for a while. But if you look, all of these drugs have an average tenure, you know, a span of time that people use them and then stop using them. Um, there's tons of research about this, this stuff and we cover all of it in the, uh, in the Freedom Model. I think, I think what's, what's troubles me sometimes when I talk to people and a, and a lot of families are concerned about this 
they're concerned that we're giving their loved one permission to use. Yeah. And and I think what concerns me is when when people go to treatment and they seek treatment, um, they're given, uh, for the most part, they're given an excuse to continue to be screwed up yeah. in their life. And there are certain benefits to that. I mean, oh, yeah. there really are. So, so sometimes people get to the freedom model by way of families because the family sees that we're different and they, they think they want something different. But in the end, they're not really looking for true difference. They're just looking for you can fix them a different way. Yeah, well, most parents and families, I think, because of our culture, are taught to institutionalize uh, their loved one or their friend or whatever. We have this idea in this country that um, that people are out of control. So that fundamentally is wrong. It's simply false. But but if you believe it, it becomes true. So there's the trap, right? So yeah. now you're trapped. You The parent thinks you're out of control. So the only option in an out of control, if you are truly out of control, is to be institutionalized. Now they don't want their kid put away for life, right? Right. But they, but they are willing, because we've been doing this for 30 years, you know, they are willing a year. Yep. Hide my kid away for a year. Why? Because they don't want them home. They don't want the problem in their backyard. They don't want them ODing in their bedroom. Out of sight, out of mind. I know that sounds harsh, but a lot of, if you really look at it, the fear that these parents have, they're willing to institutionalize their children and give them to people they don't even know and basically lock them up. That's what that's what long-term treatment is. And the irony is, none of it is effective. None of it is effective because it's based on this idea that their son or daughter is out of control when they aren't. When they're doing what they're doing because they enjoy it at some fundamental level. So if we don't address the truth up front, and that is that people like to get high and drunk at some level, um, then what are we doing? Then we're living in a mythology that they're out of control when they're not. We're providing a solution for something they don't have. And we're not dealing with the real motive, which is what do you see are the benefits of the pattern of use you've chosen? If you start from there, which is where we start in the freedom model, then, then you can work from that basis. Um, but we're not giving permission. We're just saying all options are open. Uh, you are free to determine the course of your life because you are, because you do. Even going to treatment, like Michelle just mentioned, is, is a choice and it has benefits. If you can hide away, sometimes people will voluntarily uh, decide to give up their rights and go into treatment and have people tell them what to do. They want a parent. They want somebody to guide their life. And, and it's all part of the trap, so they're complicit in it. And that's okay. But it's, but it's not a solution. It's not a long-term solution because you'll always be at the mercy of somebody else's opinion. And believe me, in this industry, opinions vary and can be damaging. So it's the tyranny of experts. You get lost in the tyranny of experts. And uh, maybe the expert is you. Maybe you get to choose. Maybe you can move on and be free. Doesn't that sound a lot better? I. I... I think so. I, you know, but I do, I do understand. I do understand being part of the system for so long because I've worked with so many people now. And for most of these people, they've been steeped in treatment yeah, it's, and it, it's insidious. They're, they're still um, seeking somebody to make them behave. Yeah. Somebody to fix them. 
Yeah. And make there's they have the idea that there's some external force that will guide their mind, which is which is really kind of frightening, which is why the Alcoholics Anonymous cult is so alluring. Yes, it is. Why after 70 years of it tragically destroying lives over and over by the millions, people still become members. They become members because they desperately want somebody to tell them what to do. Now, please understand, when we say these things, you may feel insulted, you may feel hurt, um, you may think that we're judging you. I'm not. I I was a we part were there. of yeah we were a part of the system I've I've been personally to over three thousand AA meetings I know the system and I was an, I was a skeptical member and then I became a, a researcher and I I got myself out of the cult but the truth is for a lot of years I was steeped in that model too the thing that that made me look at it differently was I just looked at the fact that people were seriously unhappy people weren't staying sober which was the goal of AA right right. Um, and I, I started to question it. And when I questioned it, I got chastised. And I said, you know what? That's a cult. If, there's gr- if groupthink is more important than my mind, uh, that's a cult. And I refused to be a part of that. And that is when the beginnings of freedom came into the forefront of my mind. And then myself, Michelle, Steve, and a whole group of other researchers and people through the last 30 years figured it, all this out. That that you could just move on. Wouldn't it be nice to not live in recovery? You're not a person in recovery because recovery is just the flip side of the same coin as addiction. So so you're just, you know, you're still living and defining yourself by that addict identity or alcoholic identity. You can move past all that. that. And that is the issue, I think. People that have that identity that start to read the book um, get kind of get get steered in, in strange directions and um, you know I when I think about there was a period of time that I took on that identity and I probably took it on before I even started drinking um, but when you go to AA I'm, I'm just writing about this now when you go to AA your first meeting or you go into treatment and it, you when you first get there you knew that you were doing these things because you wanted to do them you didn't take on, you didn't think oh i'm out of control most people don't think that at the beginning most That's people right. don't think that when they first you know maybe you got into a little trouble and and then you you toned it down for a while because people talked to you about it then you got into a little more trouble right. and so so it may have escalated a little bit and before you know it you're in rehab or you're sitting in a meeting and that's kind of what happened to me um and and you know while you're being told you're powerless and that you're an addict or you're an alcoholic, you, you can kind of still remember, well, there were some days I only had two or three drinks. Right. There were a lot of days I didn't have a drink or a drug at all. Right. You know, right. Exactly. all of that is gone. There were more days that I didn't get into trouble than there were days I did. Um, yeah, you know, I punched my sister and broke her nose while I was drunk. Okay, that was one day out of a whole plethora of days that never happened. Right. Right. But you all of a sudden you're being defined by those moments and you take on this identity because you start to, people keep pointing to them. See, 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 see you're and, out of control. And, and now they say you'll have no control to stop that behavior in the future. That's right. And, and, and see, these are traps. These are what we call mental traps. 
So when you, when you tell somebody that they have no control, that they're destined for jails, institutions, or death if yes. they drink or drug, that one drink is, is no different than a thousand drinks, that uh, once you start, you can't stop, that only an alcoholic can work with another alcoholic. When, you know, when all, when, that rehab is the only answer, that the 12 steps of the, there's all this stuff that they say. And the reality is, it's all just myths. It's yeah. not true. What runs addiction, if such a thing actually exists, it's actually just habits, um, is you. Yep. And your personal like or dislike of the habit. That's what guides you in and out of quote-unquote addiction. So uh, you, can, you can move past this. That's, that's the thing. You don't have to be, you don't have to identify yourself as a person in recovery. If there is no disease, if there is no outside force that's guiding your life called booze, drugs, or addiction, then what is there to recover from? There's no, there's no recovery. There's just moving on. There's just choices. It's not a matter of willpower. It's a matter of choices. You're not lacking power. You have infinite power. You have the infinite power of choosing. That makes it so that any path that you live with is yours. You own it, you move forward with it, or you stay trapped in it. It's really all up to you. It's your beliefs. So, um, so yeah, you can, you can move past this and not have to be a person in recovery. I think recovery actually is, is a more insidious uh, problem in our culture than addiction is. Addiction is sort of black and white. You can see it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, you're either drinking and drugging heavy and it's problematic or you're not, right? Yeah. And so the choice issue there uh, is, is fairly obvious. You know, you can get high, you can, you can drink to the point to where you shake in the morning and go to detox and move on with your life, right? But as soon as recovery, recovery language entered the scene, all of a sudden it took on something different and it kept you tethered to it. Um, and you know, you're recovering. You're not recovering from anything. Even physically, once you're out of detox, there's nothing to recover from. So even physical withdrawal is a temporary condition. It's not a trap. You can move past it. So, so let's, let's jump to the idea. I want you, the listener, to jump to the idea of not being addicted, that you're choosing it. You're choosing it for the benefits. And that you don't have to be in any recovery, that you can just move past it. Now, when that happens, people get frightened because they define themselves by their addictions. They define their life. They wrap their whole life around a recovery lifestyle because it's a part of our culture. Yep. And they think, I won't have friends unless I have this commonality. Uh, one alcoholic working with another alcoholic, right? This is all part of that wrapped up mythology, this trap. And so what happens is when you talk about true freedom and moving past it, suddenly the person realizes, oh my God, I have to be responsible for myself. And that scares people because it's open-ended. All options become open. And suddenly the reality of the power of choice becomes totally apparent and people freak out. And that's when they take the freedom model and they start to morph it back with their own language into some sort of addiction mythology. 
but we are very explicit in the book. So read the words for what they say, not what you think they, what you want them to say. Yeah, keep in mind the Freedom Model has literally 400 plus pages, 23 chapters, and five appendices. Don't skip the appendices. They're very, very important. And this was all written. The goal of the Freedom Model is to show you that you have complete control for your thoughts, behaviors, activities, choices. Your life is your responsibility. It's not ours. We don't want that responsibility. We can't possibly know what's best for you. Um, but we do know if you get, you're given the right information that you will make the decision that's best for you, whatever that is. Right, for you. We don't determine that. Even at our retreats when we have a presenter teaching this to you, because some people like to take the time off and, and come to one of our retreats to learn the freedom model. Um, even there, we say, that people will ask us, you know, they'll say, well, what should I do? I say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you should do. That's, that's up to you. Uh, but, but by the end of those chapters, by the end of those chapters, you'll, you'll, you'll know, oh my God, I can make the choice. I can do this. I can change my life and be free. Thank you so much for listening today. We will be back in a couple weeks with another show.
Thank you for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast brought to you by the Freedom Model. You can send your questions, comments, or topics you'd like us to talk about to podcast at thefreedommodel.org. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends. If you are struggling or you know someone who is, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626 or go to thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be right for you. If you're specifically seeking a residential retreat, you can check out SoberForever.net. Once again, that's SoberForever.net. Thank you to everyone who helps make this podcast happen. Editing is done by Christopher Dunbar and Daniel Hidalgo. Thank you to our incredible staff at Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model Retreats, without whom none of this would be possible.